Holmes. And I'm Ian Rowlands. And welcome to Beneath the Stream, a podcast about the human experience in the non-human world. And today's episode, Ian, we're gonna we're gonna talk about the ancestors. And most of today's podcast was recorded on location in northern Spain, where you and I recently returned from. And uh, we had some experiences there with the, I guess, the leftovers of our ancestors' attitudes and approaches to death and life um, in in both dolmens, so burial dolmens that, that we visited there, and also cave paintings. And I'm super excited to hear this because had a profound effect upon the two of us and that was a combination of the locations but also the emotions we experienced in the places that we went to and that's I guess something that's going to weave through all of this podcast is because the locations evoke something in us and they speak of life's transitions really you know the moments of death the moments of celebration the moments of profound mystery and wonder and, and I think it's fair to say that in experiencing those things, you and I went through a transition as well. Yeah, I can't stop thinking about it. And this is, you know, months later and we're recording this. And um, I've been devouring books about the, the, the things that we saw ever since. And, and I think, and we maybe touch upon this during the podcast, that my relationship with the sky, the earth, the places we saw is different. I look at things differently now. Okay, let's... Uh... Let's go over to Spain. So where are we, Ian? In a state of bliss. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very beautiful place, isn't it? Is, it? It's a very beautiful place. Yeah, we're in uh, in northern Spain. Actually, we've crossed the border from the province of Cantabria. And we're now in... Uh, where are we? Castilleon. Yeah. Castilleon mm. now. So, uh, in, in a very remote part. This feels very remote. We've driven across sort of wild-looking heather moorland and beech forest and uh, huge outcrops of rocks, the most dramatic crag of rock away to uh, to our left here and, and young oak trees festooned with lichen just bursting into leaf. It's a really late spring here and uh, it's, it's, it's a truly wonderful landscape. There's a cuckoo calling from the forests away to our north there. Yeah, which I'm really trying not to look for in a... <laughs> nerdy bird watchers sort of way but it's a, it's a beautiful backdrop sound and crickets calling it's lovely oh, and we're, we're in the shadow of a dolmen maybe mm. 5,000 years old uh, the Busnella dolmen here uh, near the little hamlet of Busnella which is still away to our north um, it's an incredible dolmen it's, it's made from seems to be its eastern side seems to be formed by a piece of natural rock and it's and then on its western side uprights have been placed um to form the cavity inside the dolmen unlike a lot of dolmens in the landscape here it's placed on the edge of a precipice it's on a it's on a boundary we can look down maybe um a hundred feet or more below us is a river um, and out onto that craggy moorland that you described. Uh, and we really are right on the edge of this this drop here. Um, so it's, again, it seems to be deliberately placed. Uh, so, the, these people burying their ancestors in a very deliberate place. So it's a commanding vista, and I was going to ask you, Colin, because you, you, you're better informed than I am about 
what you understand dolmens to be uh, for and uh, who created them. What can you tell us? So, yeah, this this one and, and a lot of the ones around here about 5,000 years old, um, created for purposes of burial. And, of course, we see these stones, these upright stones and these capstones in the landscape now, but, of course, when they were created, they would have been... Com- once the burial chamber had been closed, um, completely covered by earth. So they would have been mounds of earth, much like the barrows, round and long barrows that we're right. used to seeing in the Wiltshire landscape um, back home in the UK. Hmm. Um, but now all that earth has gone, um, and we see these these round, or rounded at least, structures of uprights and, and top stones um, that form these dolmens and they always seem to be in places that command views i don't know how well treed this landscape was five thousand years ago they always seem to be a place that directly connects the earth and the sky and and things around it they're never hidden and never in little valleys or in copses they always seem to be in a place that is prominent and um and would have formed a boundary, maybe a tribal boundary or, or a language boundary, um, certainly somewhere where people around about could see it. So we're going to leave it there for a moment. So that, that was us talking, um, as it said, at the site of the of the Busanella Dolmen. And then I think probably it was just the next day we visited the Las Arnias Dolmen which I believe translates as the Arches um, Dolmen. And this was an extreme example of the significance of where dolmens were placed by our ancestors. What What are your memories of that afternoon? I think the journey to get there as much as anything. I think the sense of expectation of, of not knowing what the location was going to reveal. And I wish we'd, in a way, had been running the recording throughout because that sense of discovery and wonder was a big part of the um, the experience um, but it was it, it's a truly awesome location and I guess it touched you the way it touched me it did let's uh, let's listen to the recording we made there okay okay it's really narrow <laughs> It is even you have to be on your knees to get chis- into the entrance. This rock. It's amazing. Texture. Yeah, they've, they've shaped they've it, haven't they? The rock, these slabs. It's kind of crawling in. It's a really long tunnel. It must be, what is it, about five meters, something like that? Yeah, and really low yeah. at the entrance, and then you can almost stand up as you get into the bright sunlight the center of the dolmen but and these huge side stones must be must be seven feet tall yeah yeah and pointed at the top everything packed in so neatly in this circle <laughs> and then looking out well we've come in i'm guessing that that's east facing isn't it that's got to be east yeah sunrise um, i don't know if you if the recording can hear the wind in the hawthorn trees but the only wind you can hear in here is the wind is the noise being made as the wind hits those hawthorns. So remind me where we are. We're in the Las Arnias Dolmen in the Castilla region of Spain. So it's a really hot walk to get here. Very hot. We must have walked um, five kilometres, I suppose, up through some scrubby woodlands. 
beautiful. So, your impressions of this place? Well, I think it, the only way we can give our impressions is to describe its location. Yep. And so, we're on, feels as if we're on the roof of northern Spain, and we are all around. We can't see anything now because we're inside the dolmen, although there's no stone over the dolmen, so it's, it opens out onto the sky. All around here is just uninterrupted views of, uh, I guess, a few different places, lots of scrubby hills and mountains going away into the distance, but not, not great dramatic peaks. They, they kind of roll away. We can see a few tiny settlements with their churches around on the horizons are huge wind farms, so great big wind turbines. It does really feel as if this dolmen structure is on the top of something. It's a place of the wind, isn't it? That's for sure. You can see the wind farms in all directions. and I mean, it's just uninterrupted views of uninhabited landscape. Yeah. What's, what's that little village you mentioned? Just down there, uh, Yeah, Contanaloma, right. I think. With, yeah. with five ruined houses. Yeah. And, a, and a church that seems to replicate the atmosphere of this place on the top of the hill. There's, there's got to be some parallels, hasn't there? We, in, in the United Kingdom, we talked about... Uh, we, people, folklorists and historians, often talk about why there are yew trees in churchyards and there are yew trees in churchyards because the yew trees were there first so places where these yews were were sacred places therefore the churches came later here there must be another parallel so this dolmen this place of burial built right on the top of the dome of this landscape and the church of the village we can see across to our south it must be um, the church is quite separate from the village built up on a hill and so this human need to have their sacred structures prominent um, in the landscape must have still existed in the 15th or 16th century when that church was built yeah yeah it's, it's, it just seems to replicate that exactly doesn't it so so your impressions of this place kind of feelings about it it's it's uh We've really come across it gradually, actually. We've been looking to find it on the horizon. Then there it is. The approach up is through flowery pasture dotted with orchids and larks singing everywhere. And then suddenly you're upon it. And what, what did you make of it? More than any of the other dolmens I've been to, this definitely feels like a statement. It's not... We, we were reflecting earlier as we were driving here that you had the choice of burying and this is a big dolmen so there must must have been maybe 10 a dozen people buried in here yeah it's about what three three and a half meters yeah. in diameter yeah. yeah and and we more than any other of these structures if you had the choice between burying your dead and moving seven foot high stones that are at least a foot thick and at least five foot wide in some places manoeuvring them into upright positions and then manoeuvring similar stones as as roofs to the corridor and then and then producing this corridor the amount of effort that must have been put into that versus just digging a hole the practical man would choose digging a hole and these are bronze age structures so they had tools mm -hmm. um, they had ways of digging ways of excavation um, because they they would have farmed the surrounding landscape no they went to the effort to construct this on top of the earth and so, more than any other place, this is a statement about um, their dead and the reverence with which they treat him. It's a protrusion into the sky, 
not a digging down into yeah. the earth. And I share that view. And I th- I, it was just the time I've spent in here that reflected the men and women that built it. It's a very long entrance. It's actually quite a forbidding entrance. And once you're in, you actually don't feel like leaving. Um, and it's utterly tranquil and supportive inside here. It doesn't. It feels like a a wonderful space to be in. Now that might be because we can see the sky, but it, you feel part of the sky and the air and that the earth is supporting you underneath so you know if i was to speculate on that it feels like your spirit is encouraged to rejoin the heavens above or something rejoin spirit that way rather than be interred into the earth and uh and i think also it's a place that um i think more than the other dolmens that we've been to which command a, a crag or some outlook it doesn't feel like it's looking out over the landscape. It's more like the landscape revolves around it. Mm. So instead of it being something, uh, likening it to a hut where you look over a spectacular view, there's something tranquil about this, and it feels like the world or the cosmos revolves around you in this place. Some spot on the land that has its own timeless, placeless location. I think. I think part of the... Part of the physical environment that invokes that thought is that it has no hard edges. So from the outside, Mm -hmm. it's a circle. Yeah. And so there's no front or back or sides. I mean, there's the entranceway, but even that doesn't... The entranceway doesn't, from the outside, doesn't interrupt the lines of the mound. It's all built within the lines of the mound. So it's it's a circle, and so immediately being in the centre of it Everything feels circular around yeah, it, um, yeah. and the landscape feels circular around it. There isn't—I don't know how deliberate that was. I, uh, but but it's fascinating to think that they thought well, we're not going to make a square. We have to make a shape that's somehow more eternal. Um, somehow has a, a ring to it, no beginning and end to the shape they created. The yeah. So from. so from a Native American perspective, it would be like the sacred hoop of life, mm. where there is no beginning, no end, and everything is in a permanent loop. Um, in a non-reverential way, we're in a cosmic donut. Yes. <laughs> so it's like it's, like, yeah, it's a huge yeah. donut that we've crawled into, and we're 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 right in the middle of it, and it, it's banks away in, in all directions, and we're. It's a beautiful shape, isn't it? It's a beautiful edgeless shape, and. I couldn't help but want to walk around the perimeter of it and just stop and take in the, each direction. Yeah. So um, again, leave it, leaving it there for the minute, where we've we've left off from the from the Lasania Stolman. I guess we'll now we'll move from from death to life, um, and as well as visiting some of these places, we also visited some of the well-known rock art that exists in that area of Spain. But what were your reflections now after uh, after this amount of time of, of some of the things we experienced there? Um, I guess when we were at the Dolmens, I had a profound sense of being um, in the human world to some extent, dealing with death, but also under the sky. And it was very possible to visualise our ancestors in those locations. And then to be plunged underground, it... it not only was it otherworldly, uh, for anybody it would be otherworldly, but the depth of history that we were touching, the things that we saw, the profundity of that, took me to another place. And it was much harder to identify with the humans 
that created the markings on the walls that we saw. Not impossible, but much harder, much bigger stretch, a much um, a much more tenuous link with what motivated them, what made them do what they did. And uh, I found myself in the cave paintings much more connecting with the experiences I've had, and nowhere near enough, with indigenous peoples, their relationship with the way that rock would have spoken to them and the way that they respond to that rock to the earth and it spoke much more of deep ritual in a profound way mm. uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to let the recording speak for itself in terms of my my feelings that day but there, there was one piece of poetry that came to mind um, and I'll, I'll just read this and, and then we'll leave it to the recording um, because I, I certainly felt much more of a connection with those, with, with, with the ancestors of my species than, than almost any, any other experience I've had, I think. And, and the great Welsh poet R.S. Thomas, in his poem Genealogy, um, just the first couple of lines of the first stanza, he says, I was the dweller in the long cave of darkness, lining it with the forms of bulls. And certainly earlier on today, we were we'd visited two caves in Cantabria, away to the north there, Hornas de la Peña, the the oven in the mountain, and and then on to um, Puente Viesco to visit the very famous El Castillo caves. Both very different experiences. Yeah, and I was I was reflecting on because uh, we decided to record here. And I wasn't quite sure how articulate I'd be feeling because I'm still in a bit of a, a numb state of um, awe and shock, really, at what we've just experienced. And, and probably because it was so unexpected. It's, it, it's a trans, <laughs> transcendental experience, dare I say. So let's, let's, let's try and recap why we're both feeling like that, at least why I am. So Hornos de la Peña was um, it's a very intimate experience. Uh, there were just... Just you and I and the guide showed us in through the, the metal grill in the mountain and then, then in through an inner door <clears throat> and a very casual way that she would just, we were in the main part of the cave which has been used in, in more recent times as well by farmers and during the Spanish Civil War in the 1930s. Um, so much of it really, uh, its archaeological value destroyed I guess. But she just casually pointed to a deeply incised figure of a horse in the mm. rock nearby that that we were stood next to and hadn't noticed, which was at least fifteen thousand years old. Yeah, and 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 within that, within those caves, we saw etched images of bison and of aurochs uh, and of deer. Uh, our, our guide kind of moved her fingers in front of her torch as if to demonstrate how these figures would have looked and moved in a flickering torchlight when. Our ancestors were were inscribing them and, and making them. Different settings of light brought out different things in these in these petroglyphs, and, and it was interesting that they were none of them were static, none of them were still life representations of these animals, but these the, the people who had um, done them were representing them as they saw them. Um, either running down a hillside in the case of an ibex with its sweeping horns. Yeah, I think I think all those sculptures had incredible. They're incredibly modern in lots of ways, and um, 
course, an, an aura, which uh, which I love the way the guide in, in the second location, which we come to, described as... Uh, large, fat, and fearsome, <laughs> as, as Auric was said to be, this primitive cattle. Um, it, it was surprisingly modern, and, and, and I was reflecting on having looked at Picasso's history of mm. drawing the bull, which is such a common motif in Spanish art and culture, and how you could really trace that back to early paintings of Auric. And, and this thing was, was the way it was daubed in, in clay. It felt like somebody might just have done it a week ago, mm. um, and yet it, it had this sort of sort of verisimilitude to it, this movement, this uh, life to it, which was really unexpected. Cause I think I was thinking of things being much more rudimentary in the way that we're kind of dismissive of people from the past. It's like thinking of Howard Carter uncovering Tutankhamun's tomb. Mm. What it must have been to be the the early discoverers of these these Paleolithic cave paintings, and we saw some of the really narrow passageways people had crawled through to get to them. They subsequently opened them up more so that us humble visitors can, can get to see things. It was still pretty narrow, to be mm. honest. We were still yeah, yeah, we dumped, were crouched, crouched and, down, uh, almost down on our knees to yeah. get under rock, slabs of rock. And uh, there was no light in there other than what we carried with us. And but it, it, I think that's, that takes us to an even deeper point, doesn't it? Which is when think about the floor level of those caves before they were all dug out for our benefit how narrow they were this would have required people as you say to be on their bellies um, pulling themselves through narrow spaces Um, but that speaks of how important it was for the, the individuals of that society to find these, not only find these places but penetrate them and to get further up and deeper into the yeah, mountain in yeah. order to etch these shapes and um, some some were just geometric shapes as well etched and, and, and paint these shapes onto the walls of these caves it was clear that these were really sacred spaces because of the effort they went to but after Hornos de la Peña we visited the famous El Castillo in its conical the, the, the mountain itself looks man-made um, in its conical place to view art that is often revered and regarded as the first art, 38,000 years old. What were your thoughts when you were seeing that? Well, I, I actually, it's really interesting because you, you, you touched upon them, and it's that going into the mountain, mm. which is very, very much the feeling you get at El Castillo. But we also had a glimpse of that at Juan uh, de la Peña because it, it, you understood that people had crawled into the belly of the mountain. Mm. And it might sound really dramatic language, but the, I think you and I staggered out of the, even from Hornos, a little bit numb and, and struggling to process and express that. And I felt in Hornos that the deeper we got, the more there was a presence, a spirit, deep in that place. And we didn't get to the final carvings, which is a, an anthropomorph figure, a kind of uh, blend of human and animal. A, a human-like figure extending its arms. You can't. The face is misshapen and has a tail. You know, and and even the experts interpret this as I think a, a shamanic quality to it, mm. uh, a sort of transcendental quality, a uh, shaman going to another state, morphing into an animal. And and for me, El Castillo had a similar experience, which was the deeper we got, the more profound the experience was. Mm. And I'm guessing that's how you felt about it. I, I think it was, and and I think El Castillo is a very different 
there's a very different internal geography to the caves uh, than there was at Hornos de la Peña. Hornos de la Peña did have some um, some chambers in which you could stand up, and, and all of these caves have extraordinary natural features as well. This sort of this sort of these sort of calcite deposits on mm. on the walls and on the floors, but it, you, you, you with Hornos de la Peña you certainly got uh, the impression of a large entrance narrowing down to a smaller end. In El Castillo, my impression was different. Mm -hmm. um, if it, it was, we, we were talking afterwards, and I was comparing it to Hornos de la Peña being a, the, the parish church of sacred spaces for, for these people. And if that's the case, then El Castillo, El Castillo is a, a grand cathedral, mm -hmm. a sacred temple. Um, it's very, very high ceilings. Huge chambers, a great sweeping sheets of rock um, going up maybe um, 30 or 40 feet up in, in to, to the roof of these chambers. But all of the paintings very close, um, very uh, touchable almost, yeah. um, and, and, and very present. And, and I agree, the further we went in and we, we walked past some extraordinary blown hand stencils. And, and that really gives you a feeling of closeness to these people they place their hand on that rock to form that shape um and, and then blue paint over the hand yeah, yeah. And, and and extraordinarily well articulated images of bisons where the, the cloven hoof is very clear and the horns very clear and the eyes mouths um, ears backs legs genitalia all sorts of things very clearly articulated and also in very interesting ways in both caves it was clear that people were using the natural lines of rock um, in some cases as landscape features there would be that that curve in the rock would become a hill where in, in which an ibex was galloping um, um, or, or a killing floor even after a hunt and to see those to see those handprints blown onto the wall and then other things superimposed on there the whole place was a, a palimpsest of different ages um, and and rather beautifully our our guide at Hornos um, spoke excellent English much better than you, you or I speak Spanish and as she reached for the word for eras or epochs she didn't quite get it and she used the word moments she said we know that these etchings this art was created at different moments and that was a, a beautiful mistake because it really gave me a sense that when these things were created in both caves, those people were in the moment as much as you or I were in the yeah, moment. Yeah, you, you drew my attention to her using that, that word, and, uh, and I perhaps hadn't really registered it. But it did come back to me when we were in the second cave in El Castillo, because there's, um, there's a whole panel of those handprints you described, and actually the end of our journey culminated in, in a final handprint there's more that I want to talk about in a minute there but that handprint was blown in a moment a moment when a human person of some sort dated it around 40,000 years ago 40,000 years ago you know a human an ancestor of ours in a moment did that and, and, and that was very it was a really profound experience I mean the whole journey through had a theatrical quality to it anyway I thought because it, one minute you're in a very confined passage then it, it suddenly expanded out into a soaring sort of church or cathedral like experience 
um, and you're overwhelmed by the cathedral-like cavern, and then realise that there's a an incredibly realistic depiction of a bison on the wall right next to you, within touching distance. You you don't touch it, obviously, because of its antiquity. But it, it was a uh, an amazing kind of drawing. I, you hardly knew where to look next. Actually, was what I felt when I was in there, mm. and the time rushed by when you could have just paused and, and taken it in, in in a more profound way. Um, I also had that 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 experience that I think you had and I wasn't sure if you're going to touch on this which is I don't want to skip past the animal depictions because I'm a uh, deeply attracted to the natural world as you are and so those depictions of um, in that cavern there are mammoth and there's wild boar and there's possibly felines and there's um, the bison and the auric and the, the deer and reindeer and in Hornets of the Pena we saw moose carved there so there's all these animals which make you fascinated about the landscape and what was here then and in, in what the climate was like then what it looked like then what it would have been like to to be a human alive at that point that was all fascinating but the thing that blew me away was this culminative sort of aisle that you came to almost like a nave in a church with this dramatic and almost regular avenue of of dots of red discs mm on the rock right next to us sort of the pattern of them blasted onto the rock and leading to something and uh, and that was the most unexpected thing really because i would i'd looked in advance and thought the geometric shapes are fascinating because we don't know what they are but i wanted to see the depiction of the animals but actually it was the, it was the mystery it was the unknown it was the sense of leading to something at the very depths of the mountain that was the most incomprehensible the most um profound and in a strange way the most um, deeply human part of it I thought touching upon what separates us from you know the non the non-human world the animals um, was something that, that people were reaching for searching for were finding in the depths of the mountain there that is that was different from the reality they would see outside the cave entrance and I felt that same profound sense being being right in there, suddenly seeing these geometric pictures that were representations of nothing except their own mind. Um, and you're right, the depictions of animals were, were albeit very beautiful and very meaningful and clearly very sacred and, and they placed great meaning on them. They were a mirror of the real world. But when we got to that gallery, and when we got to that chamber with this long string of dots, which almost seemed to beckon you further in, you wanted to follow that line further into the cave, it was something entirely different. It was clearly, for them, a door into another place. Hmm. That They could leave the cave and go to the real world where those same animals were, but that was something different and special. And what the archaeology has revealed, which I, I find... Um, very fascinating is that some of the artefacts they've found in that part of the cave, um, they found bull roarers, so the very primitive sort of paddle-like instruments you attach to a twine or a string and, and twirl around your head, um, and the spinning of the the spinning of the paddle makes a, an unearthly drone. As um, we know, Colin. So let, let's not let's not beat about the bush here. Yes, we know. We have constructed dear, a dear listener. Yes, um, because because visiting um, visiting me recently, Colin 
brought a ball rather than he here's one I made earlier. Yeah. And then proceeded to twirl it around and make this weird, unearthly, deep vibratory sound. <laughs> And, and experiments they've done with reconstructing the bull roarers they found have shown that that the caverns in El Castillo um, to a certain extent match, a res, match the resonance of the drone of those bull roarers. And so it's clear that they this was an art done um, out of some, you know, muse. It wasn't... Um, it wasn't one member of society doing anything to show off. This was art done in the full throes of ritual, and, and possibly, uh, as, as many commentators believe, um, altered states, having ingested um, plants and, and other things, um, done in meditative or, 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 or so, as you say, transcendental mm. states. That's when this art was done and what that art was for. Um, and it's significant that they place that right inside the mountain. And, and, and as some people believe, it's the beginnings of human art. It was clearly also the beginning of an awakening in human beings. No longer did they see themselves as an animal in the landscape, but a new different consciousness had taken over I think and, and, and they, they were elevating themselves and, and were, were trying to find meaning in their existence and so they created these gods and representations of these other worlds in, in these caves Qu quite an amazing thing to witness the moment of that change and it, uh, it must, we must acknowledge here that is, there's some contention around that with different experts on these on these caves and of the, the painting within of, of, of what the significance is and what was going on at the time, but I know what a, a, a journalist author I admire, Graham Hancock, is, is, is quite sure there's a lot of evidence to point to the, the artwork and the non-ordinary reality that, that, that the humans were experiencing there was a, a, a leap forward in terms of humanity as a, as a culture, as a civilization. Mm. Um, mm. So I, you might want to edit this out, I'll leave you free to do that, but uh, I wanted to share with the fact that when we came out, both a bit numb and shell-shocked and just sat on a bench at the entrance of the cavern, um, you burst into tears. How can you articulate that, explain what that, what was that emotion going through you there? Yeah, I, I don't know. It was, I think in part, Stretching your hand across all those centuries, you know, and it's it's worth saying again because we threw it away earlier. Forty thousand years of human history. And most of us can trace our own families back at a push. Hundred and fifty, maybe two hundred years. Yeah, I mean, my, you know, I know who my, I I know my who my sort of seven times great grandfather was and the, what 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 years he lived in, but uh, be, beyond that, really hard. And to stretch your imagination and hands back across that that far in in those caves in El Castillo was quite a moving and profound experience. I think that was mixed with 
frustration at not really being able to put my finger on mm. that not being you, you talked about struggling to articulate that it's a very intangible thing I was trying to understand it for myself and couldn't a, a profound sense of um, being touched by something mm. um, um, a lineage um, a genealogy that's so intangible and so difficult to get one's mind around and, and so difficult to grasp um, and, and also I, I think partly just the beauty of it it's what, what we saw down there in those caves was beautiful it wasn't they were daubs mm. this was art um, and I think all of those emotions um, came home mm. <laughs> in, in that empty visitors centre because yeah. there was no one else around but yeah, you and yeah, I yeah, and yeah. so we were uh, left behind yeah that's that's really profound and I I mean there's some takeaways I have too having done some processing it's a little bit like uh, I know that I'll have a a greater regard for art in all its forms including the most modern representative art having seen what moved me in the cave I know that I'll also have a much greater appreciation if you speak about ancestors (laughs) yeah I've now been to a place where you know mine and yours ancestors go back a very long time indeed mm. and, and uh, yeah this this was our species yeah no yeah. so so probably have a, a much better practical grasp of that than i had before but i know that i came out of that wanting in sort of spiritual stroke shamanic terms to go right back in again and you know and um, just as i imagine you know uh, the shaman or, or people would have gone in there and journeyed to meet the spirits and done that either with um entheogenic plants or they may just have done it in with drumming and trance and bull roarers and getting themselves into an altered state i kind of wanted to go back in there and 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 speak to the cave speak to the people in in that shamanic way and think what tell me more Mm. tell me more about this place where can i learn more because because if you then as as we have done sat here under a spiral of vultures looking out over the landscape just sat and devoured the books a little bit um the experts clearly understandably reticent to speculate on some aspects of this they, 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 there's areas they want to delve into, there's lots of practicalities there's the dating of the things, it's trying to put some sort of order behind it because clearly with some of these there are the realistic representations of animals are on the, uh, the, sort of the first two thirds of the caves and the inner third seems to be often generated towards strange shapes, geometric shapes, things that we don't recognise anthropomorph humans morphing into animals so there's clearly a cataloging which is, is beyond my skill and I, I now admire more the people that do it but I just wanted to go back in and for myself experience and learn more about it and there was um, there's been an archaeologist um, unlike all these things we mention on this podcast Ian we can never remember who it was where it was, where we read it um, but there is an archaeologist has, who has been doing some work on some of the geometric shapes that we find mm. in these caves and has, with with a sort of living subjects, as it were, asked them to describe the shapes they see um, when they are in an altered state, whether that is uh, having, having taken legal or illegal um, narcotics, mm-hmm. Um, having experienced fever or or some other type of illness where 
perhaps the medication they take puts puts them into an altered state has asked them to to describe the shapes they see in the dark when they when they close their eyes um, and he has gathered some quite significant and positive evidence to show that those shapes have great similarity with the shapes that we see painted on these cave walls so it, it seems there's mounting evidence to suggest that these things were um, either created in an altered state or once the person was out of that altered state they remembered those shapes and their belief system was such that that was then those shapes were the doors to other places um, that, where their perception had expanded and yeah. and they were able to, to, to see other things and be other things and so what lessons have you taken away you've mentioned a few mm. for, uh, about the non-human experience uh, the human experience in the non-human world that we take from these things we've seen today this dolmen that we're sitting near there's the things that I mentioned that will affect me in my practical appreciation of things in ordinary reality um, but I'll have a much greater appreciation the, even the very phrase cave paintings and cave art I think in popular culture speaks of og and ug daubing something on a wall with little understanding a little culture and, and there will be many people ahead of the curve than me on this have seen these things for themselves and realised that's far different from, from reality but it, it, was, it was just a, a huge wake up call for me to go in there and think these early hominids some of whom may have been Neanderthals um, were capable of profound experiences underground Rep- and not least representing art from memory and drawing these animals in a realistic way because they're familiar with them but nevertheless in a way that I couldn't do but that the best artists of our time can do build a picture in the head represent it in in paint on a wall so so that was an astonishing thing but I, I know that my, my biggest takeaway if you're asking me right now while the experience is fresh was something deeper and more profound and it was, it was to go to the heart of the mountain and, and touch something and experience something and see that humans were reaching to a deeper place then and that it's perfectly valid to still do that now. I want to feel more of what they felt. I want to... How, whichever way I choose to then represent that, in possibly in words certainly not in pictures that would be a disaster <laughs> but but to represent those things with that level of reverence and regard and attention to detail um, in words and then to somehow feel that on a deeper level is what I take away um, from those things so it, it's it's the same as you I, I want everybody to feel it. <laughs> I, I want the world to feel how you and I felt when we yeah. saw those images. I want the world to feel that they can connect with the non-human world, yeah. um, the rest of the natural world, in such a deep and meaningful way. It's it's very profound. Probably can't overstate it at this point. We just experienced so. How about you, Colin? I'm ready to get back in that slippery, muddy caves 
touching the damp walls with the water I dripping am. on us. Hard to find your footing, fumbling for the torch. Yeah. And see what else we can discover. Yeah. Let's do it. Um, so I've been devouring books since I got back about Paleolithic cave art, and, and there are too many titles to mention. I've written read too many books already to remember the best of them. But but one that really leapt out at me is by Jean Clot, who is one of the leading figures, Frenchman, who's who's investigated Paleolithic art, and perhaps one more willing to extemporize, to imagine in a way that we can't definitively prove why this art was created. And and I particularly love this book, What is Paleolithic Art? As simple as it says, Cave Paintings and the Dawn of Human Creativity. And I love, there's a review in the New York Times, and it says, what gives this art its power, Clot says, is that it makes us dream. And I think that's the experience you and I had when we were there. And um, today, on this episode, instead of playing out with um, the wonderful music that we would normally play out with by David Rothenberg, I think we'll just play out with the sound of the wind and the birds that we recorded um, at the Las Arnias Stolen. 